Hi, this is Ellie Kushner from Dancewell Podcast. And for this episode, we're doing a special post-Diadams mashup. Marissa and I just recently returned from Montreal where we were attending the International Association of Dance Medicine and Science Conference, where we presented some research we did investigating dancers' first-person perspective of their own well-being. And what we believe we found from this study was that dancers generally feel pretty good about their physical well-being. And yet, physical, physical concerns still figure prominently among a diversity of other concerns related to psychological, social, occupational, and financial well-being. So things like debt, lack of time, love, and stress are common concerns, but pain, injury, diet, and appearance were more frequently noted as prominent. However, when it comes to self-care, dancers seem most interested in engaging in physical practices like massage and cross-training at the gym. So we found this all pretty interesting and we'll definitely be processing it over the coming months. So in the days that followed the presentation of our research, I pulled out my recording equipment and did some roving interviews. I've compiled them here and added a bit of commentary. I'll warn you, the sound quality is not great, but hopefully you can stick it out and enjoy the content. So without further delay, I give you episode 54, live from my Adams 2019. On this episode, Nutrition, Life Coach, Dance and Performance, Psychological Development, and today you are in for treat. Hi, hello. This is Ellie Kushner, and this is Marissa Schaefer from Dancewell Podcast. Dancewell Podcast. So this year, iAdams introduced a new branch of their organization, a new focus for the organization, which is Dance for Health, and that includes um, all ways in which dance is used to enhance the health and well-being of other populations besides dancers, people who identify as dancers. So that might be um, children with cognitive delays, it might be um, adults with depression, and one of the areas that has the most robust research is dance for people with Parkinson's disease, and I was able to catch up with David Leventhal in the foyer, who spoke at the top of the conference about his work in Dance for PD. Okay, so I'm here with David Leventhal, who is um, an amazing dancer above all else, but also, of course, um, instrumental in Dance for Parkinson's, Dance for PD. Can you introduce yourself officially? What are your affiliates that need to be mentioned? Sure. I'm David Leventhal, the program director and one of the founding teachers for the Dance for Parkinson's program at Mark Morris Dance Group in Brooklyn, New York. And I'm thrilled to be here at iAdams. It's my first iAdams conference. Uh, I know many iAdams members and have heard about the organization for many years. This is my first year as a member and my first time at this Congress. And uh, it's been really exciting to see the intersection of traditional um, dance medicine and research starting to intersect with the dance for health side of things and to see conversations that are sparked um, through common interests which are research, service, um, movement. Uh, movement, commitment to dancers health and longevity in the field not just on stage 
but potentially as a community dance artist, community teaching artist. So it's really exciting to be here. It's really exciting to be part of the, the introduction of a Dance for Health channel that just serves to support the mission of this organization, and we're, we're really honored to be here. I'm really glad that iAdams has taken on this idea because, um, of course, there are altruistic benefits to it. It's, you know, great to see people in marginalized populations who are benefiting from dance, but honestly, even from a selfish perspective, dance is often on the fringe of society. When you're a dancer, you don't always feel like what you do and what you know is valued and important in society, and I think that that contributes to a lot of distress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of um, career confusion for dancers. And so, you know, anything that we can do in our community to elevate the value of dance, I think elevates the well-being of dancers. And um, so I'm really glad that this is being talked about and I'm excited to see where it goes. And I think it really brought a vivacity and excitement to this year's iAdams conference. So this year's conference started with um, an introduction of dance to health and also a panel discussing the making of an artist. And this was an artiste or an artist, um, including speakers Peter Loon Brain, current president of iAdams, Angelique Wilkie, um, the legendary Sylvie Fortin, uh, Caitlin, whose last name escapes me, from Cirque, and um, ah, Caitlin Mags and uh, Lucy Boissonat, and they were discussing the making of an artist. And I, I really appreciate the programming here and putting the artist first. I have to say, I felt overall like this I Adams. I kept calling it dancer forward. I just felt like dancers as whole people were really considered by individuals, but also by the conference as a whole. So that from practitioners to researchers to educators, over and over again, I just felt like people were conscientious of dancers as full and complex beings embarking on a craft that had both athletic, measurable skills, but also immeasurable, subtle, nuanced, artistic craft. And um, so let's take a listen to some of those practitioners and researchers and teachers. Here we go. Hi, so I'm Sue Mays. I'm the physio and the director of artistic health at the Australian Ballet, but I also do some research with our partnership with La Trobe University. Fantastic. Um, and you gave a great presentation where I felt liberated from doming, which you described as being very difficult and kind of boring and, and therefore having low compliance. And I am one of those non-compliant domers. So can you tell people a little bit, a summary of the rich information you gave us during that talk? So I guess the, the recent research is really showing us that those in small intrinsic muscles in the feet don't have a lot to do with the arch compression, that they're much more important in propelling the body forward, so in that plantar flexion of the first and the MTP joints of all the toes. So 
we think it's a far better idea to use structured therabands to actually strengthen the, that plantar flexion movement rather than just sitting there staring at your foot trying to do a doming action. It seems much more functional too. I mean, we rarely just spontaneously dome our foot up, but we do plantar flexion all the time. Absolutely. You know, we don't do isometric movements with our foot. They're working, the toes are flexing all the time. They need to be strong and hypertrophied because if you've got even, you know, small muscles under the metatarsal heads, that can add to that compression through and pain of those metatarsal heads as well. So it's about strength and hypertrophy. Okay, so while Sume has absolved me of my doming guilt, she does of course still believe that dancers and others need strong intrinsic muscles of the foot, and she's particularly focused this presentation on the abductor hallucis brevis and suggests that um, while abducting is very hard, that muscle is also a flexor, so we can all go on ahead and work on flexing our first MTP towards plantar flexion. Absolutely, you can sit there trying to do that abduction, which is virtually impossible, so it's actually a really strong flexor. So get the TheraBand around the big toe and use the flexion component to actually hypertrophy and strengthen it. Great. And then lastly, you were talking about the stair running. You know, so if you don't know Susan Mays, uh, you know her if you've ever been told you should be doing a lot of releves. She introduced us all to the idea of endurance of the lower leg and that we should all be doing a lot of releves. And now she's going to have us all running the stairs. So can you talk just briefly about what that is? Okay. So it was actually a Jill Cook shared it with us about when we had to rehabilitate someone with an Achilles insertional tendinopathy. And it worked so well with the dancer who had quite an unstable ankle and FHL tenosynovitis. So we started to introduce it throughout the, each dancer's rehab and now we use it for all the dancers whether they're rehabbing or not. And they start, really starts like a stepping exercise where they step up the stairs at about 90 beats per minute and they add in volume by increasing the minutes that they do it for. So they might just do two flights of stairs, but eventually they might build up to 10 minutes and some even can do up to 20 minutes. And then we gradually also build up the beats per minute. So if they, they could start at 90 and build up to 170 beats per minute, which is a really fast running speed. So it ends up going from a stepping action to quite a fast running speed and they go ascend and descend the stairs but all the time they keep their ankle in a little bit of plantar flexion with um, and make sure that they're not allowing it any pronation in an in or eversion and that they're not losing any they keep the don't do any dorsiflexion as they're coming up or down so it's like a a very long isometric contraction I mean they feel it through the whole body but you get a really great burn in those intrinsic muscles when you're doing it great um and you just kept showing us that image of the spring reminding us it's a spring it's a spring the foot is a spring is there anything else you want to share what's going to be next out of the australian ballet what should we look for coming up or what has struck you during this i adams anything else you want to add well i mean we're always looking at musculoskeletal health so we're going to be doing some research on the foot looking at the muscle size of the 
small muscles of the foot. There's been some great work done on uh, normal people and people with plantar heel pain. So we'd like to compare those to, you know, what are the size of the muscles in the dancer's feet? And then perhaps even test our exercises and see if we can get true strengthening and how that um, even changes someone's ballet technique. So I'm here with Dr. Elizabeth Menahias, who is a physiatrist. Did I get all of that right? Yes. And she just gave a fantastic um, contribution to a very popular panel about the SI joint. Do you want to give us a little synopsis of what everyone heard in your SI joint panel? Sure. So we basically debated whether or not the SI joint moves. And if it does move, uh, is it a two degree movement? Is it a 35 degree movement? So we had varying opinions from two physical therapists that gave their point of view. Um, and then I gave a discussion on diagnosis and treatment. And basically the conclusion is, is that we really don't know a whole lot about the SI joint um, in terms of whether or not it moves, how to properly diagnose it, which physical exam maneuvers identify the SI joint versus other pain etiologies that may refer to the SI joint. And once you do agree that it's the SI joint, what are the best ways in going about treating it? Great. Um, you raised your hand when, when asked about SI joint pain. <laughs> Have you had any success in treating your own SI joint pain? Um, no, actually, but that's, that's the, only my fault. <laughs> Mostly because I, I haven't done the proper management yet, um, but, but I, I do feel that my SI joint moves, which is interesting because patients will often come to me and say, my SI joint clicks, it comes out of place, I go to a physical therapist, they adjust it, it feels better, or perhaps it feels better once I strengthen my gluteal muscles. So I, I do think that there is a subjective feeling that your SI joint is moving and that may cause a feeling that it's not in the right position or that it's it's causing a clicking or rubbing sensation. Um, and I do think when properly addressed, even if we're not totally accurate on how, on whether or not it's truly identifying SI joint movement, I think the physical therapy programs that are addressed to that region do help patients for, for the most part. There are always patients who don't necessarily recover entirely, um, but that really has to focus on lumbar, pelvic strengthening, and gluteals, right, exactly, addressing any deficiencies, any asymmetries, and then once that, and I think that was the, one of the points that was made during the lecture, that if you kind of address all of those other factors first, and then hopefully that pain referral will improve, and then if it doesn't, then you have to inquire further. Of course, at iAdams, fantastic practitioners are always within arm's reach. And moments after talking to Dr. Menahias, I found these gems discussing their experience of the SI joint discussion conversation from the practitioner perspective. We're going to also look at everything else, too, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought at the end when he got into the whole treatment so then it makes sense conversation yeah right because then obviously I'm gonna look at the lumbar spine I'm gonna look at the hip I'm gonna look at the foot and ankle I'm gonna look at the whole thing right and then maybe do all of that and treat that last that kind of made sense to me what he said to treat the SI last yeah. to look at all the other dysfunction if you've if you've unwound the fascia if you've looked at you know if you've done some soft tissue work if you've looked at it and they're still having pain or they're still not aligned then you can maybe go to the joint. I'm Sally Donabauer. I'm a dance physical therapist, Pilates instructor, and former dancer. And also Megan. 
Hi, I'm Megan Richardson. I'm an acupuncturist and athletic trainer and former dancer. Yes, um, so I'm Jeff Russell from Ohio University. I'm an associate professor of athletic training, director of science and health and artistic performance, and I lead our performing arts medicine clinic there and also have a, a research lab in performing arts medicine. I think that this conference is just amazing for all of the different pieces that come together around dance medicine and science. And so to me, just hearing different perspectives on things, like, you know, for example, on the sacred iliac panel, that was outstanding. Just jogging everybody's thoughts about that. And, you know, just, just as one example, the concussion, the concussion work yesterday in the seminar, that was, you know, different people with different ideas and just putting it all together to help dancers. That was incredible. So you just have this very rich environment. That's what the highlight is to me, the rich environment of people with different perspectives, all with the common goal of, hey, let's take care of dancers and performers better. So another example is the Cirque, the Cirque group, right? So they were here and did a marvelous job of showing how so many different pieces of that giant organization come together, again, for all of the terrific opportunity to Take care of these performers, do it well, and you know that that's that's what makes us tick. When those of us that take care of performers, we just want them to do well and perform well, and and uh, and just to be productive. And it's just exciting. It's an exciting environment. Okay, so now I'm with Liliana Arujo. How did I do, Liliana? Good. Well Good. done. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about a little bit about your qualitative research panel, or your study that you did at Laban on um, collegiate wellness? Uh, well, I could do both. <laughs> You're very welcome to do that. Uh, yeah, so starting with the qualitative uh, research panel, um, I think it was a very important panel um, to start uh, um, discussions around um, why it's important that we also consider qualitative research in dance medicine and science. And as I mentioned during the panel, um, I think it's also time to move away from these one versus the other or which one is best because um, we can only, from my perspective, uh, develop good research if we consider um, good methodologies, whether they are quantitative or qualitative methodologies or frameworks. Um, so I think it was a very important um, panel to discuss uh, very important points about how to do proper qualitative research and the importance and uh, how qualitative research can actually help um, further the knowledge and understanding of all the issues that we have been discussing um, on around us medicine and science. So I think that's, that was positive. Uh, we got very positive feedback. Uh, we even inspire some people <laughs> to explore more qualitative research. Um, yeah, so I think that was that was a nice a nice experience. Uh, the other presentation I did was on uh, psychological skills, uh, stress, uh, coping strategies, and well-being of dance students. Um, that was a study uh, we did at Trinity Laban um, with colleagues that teach uh, a module looking at physical, it's called physical awareness and development, but it actually covers as part of it some mental skills um, and aspects related to relaxation and um, managing stress. So we look at how dancers actually use those strategies in their own practice. Great. Do you want to give your full affiliation, your full title and affiliation here? Sure. Um, I'm pro program leader of the MSc and MFA in dance science at Trinity Laban and also senior lecturer in performance psychology, both in music and dance. 
Um, so I'm here with Dawn. Dawn, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Dawn Theodore. I'm a psychotherapist um, in Los Angeles, and I've also a former professional dancer and recovered from anorexia. Fantastic. And you participated yesterday in the World Cafe event for A Day for Teachers, and you played the role of a struggling dancer, a dancer with a severe eating disorder. Um, and I think that made a big impression on anyone. Anything you want to say about that experience, talking to teachers about eating disorders? We were specifically talking about vegan and vegetarianism and whether or not it's safe. I think it's really important to highlight that um, being a vegan dancer is fine as, as long as they are receiving all their nutritional um, values and that it can be taken like anything to an extreme and can become problematic if the person is restricting certain food groups. Great. And you're going to be giving another talk tomorrow on Sunday, which has gratefully been changed from 7.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m., a much more reasonable hour. Um, without giving away any spoilers, do you want to give us a, a sort of hint as to what you and Monica will be talking about tomorrow? We're going to be talking about the uh, language of eating disorders. Are you helping or hurting in the process? And it's, I think it's a really important topic because the language that we use with dancers is so important um, as to how they are impacted. And someone with an eating disorder will hear, hear a correction different than somebody without an eating disorder. So it's re a really important topic. I'm excited to be speaking about it. Great. I'm really looking forward to hearing it. Um, Lastly, have you attended any sessions that made a significant impression on you? Was there anything that really um, struck your mind and heart and maybe will impact how you practice moving forward or how you think about some of these issues that we talk about here at Adams? One of the things that I really enjoyed was Jillian's talk on identity and um, because I, I use it a lot in my own work and feel that, you know, there's an identity as a dancer and the and then in my work with eating disorders, there's an identity of um, a, a person with an eating disorder and they become very identified with the eating disorder as the anorexic or the bulimic. And so when I refer to people who are struggling with an eating disorder, I always call them the person with anorexia or the person with bulimia, not an anorexic. And so I think that identity piece is a huge piece as a dancer and as someone who, with an eating disorder. That's great, thank you so much. Um, okay, so now I'm with Jill. Jill, tell me your name, introduce yourself, tell me your affiliations. My name is Jill Dakota. I'm a current therapist at Cirque du Soleil. The show is Humanity. I'm a qualitative researcher and a dance scientist with my MSc from Trinity Laban. Fantastic. And you just gave a presentation today. Do you want to tell me what that was and how it went? My presentation was entitled... Reinvention of the Dancer Identity, Psychotherapeutic Techniques and Integrated Care. And the purpose of my presentation was to highlight some of the literature in actually counseling techniques that have been shown to be successful with dancers or even just proposed techniques for battling when dancers have identity crises that are compounded with all of the, all of the negative ramifications of being injured. Fantastic. Actually, I spoke with somebody who loved your presentation. So I will cut these side by side when the time comes. Um, do you want to tell me a little bit about what you've seen here at IADAMS? If anything really stuck out, if there's anything you want to take home 
Um, anything that really made an impression? Something I'm very interested in and excited about of seeing this year, which is probably quite petite in its presence this year, but pregnancy research. I'm so interested in the future of doing research, qualitative research, because that's what I do, on pregnant and postpartum dancers. And I've seen some great work. I saw the most amazing poster that collected, I believe it was about 15 pregnant dancers who were currently pregnant at the same time. So they all did the same intervention. I just thought, what a miracle of recruitment. Right. And life, I guess. But <laughs> recruitment was really amazing. Anyway. That's fantastic. And yeah, I mean, when I grew up at Boston Ballet, those women would dance until the baby came out. They were doing grand jetés across the studio with nine-month pregnant bellies. And it's true, that's really not something we know much about. And I think the postpartum recovery is um, not to be underestimated. And I'm, I'm also just so interested in the cultural shift because I've interviewed dancers in their 60s and 70s who, when they were dancing, it was end of career. The minute they were pregnant, they knew it was get away with this until my belly shows, end of career. But now, obviously, we have like maternity care showing up and we have dancers returning, returning stronger. I've had some dancers suggest that they return as more deep artists and they can tap into more emotions after pregnancy. So all things that I'm so curious about popping up in future research. I'm glad Jill brought this up because one of the limitations in dance science is that we don't have a lot of genres which have been studied, nor a lot of diverse populations. So most dance science research is done on ballet companies, uh, professional modern dance companies, or collegiate conservatory students. And you know that's for a variety of reasons. Those populations offer a fairly controlled environment it's pretty easy to know where a ballet dancer is all day, every day. Um, similarly with conservatory students, um, ballet has a specific codified language that makes it easy um, to discuss, you know, so we, any of us who have studied ballet, we all know what an arabesque is. Um, but of course that also reflects the you know, small uh, range of diversity among the scientists. So if most of the scientists were former ballet dancers, we all think everybody knows what ballet is. However, that's really starting to change. Um, thanks in large part to this organization, I think we're definitely seeing dance science um, work its way out into other genres and other populations. For example... Um, okay, so I'm with Joanna Nichols. Joanna, can you tell us about your affiliations and can you tell us a little bit about the award you won? Sure, so I'm from the uh, University of Western Australia. Um, I'm a pole dancing um, academic, so I've just completed my PhD looking at the science of pole dancing. Um, and the award that I uh, received was a student travel award for research into injuries in pole dancers. I love it. Um, what did you discover about injuries in pole dancers? What would you like to share with us? Uh, there's quite a lot. The incidence rate is a lot higher than other activities. Um, majority of injuries are related to the shoulder region, followed by hamstring. 
So the next step for us is to look at the mechanisms of injury um, and then sort of um, suggesting safer ways for practice. Great, and we've been having a conversation a little bit about um, the limited scope of genres that are explored at IADAMS and certainly pole dancing is outside of that scope that usually is covered. So um, could you talk a little bit about what it's like to be in sort of an underrepresented um, sector of dance and be at this yeah, conference? Sure. So I actually come from a sports science background. Um, even though I've danced and taught pole dancing for a long time, my background's exercise and sports science. So for me to come here, I actually feel really included. So I felt a little bit um, different from those that do sports science. It's not baseball, it's not football. Um, so coming to a dance conference, I feel very much at home. Um, I'm the only pole dance researcher here, but I feel really included. Um, and it's been a really nice experience to share with people in the dance world, or typical dance world of ballet, what pole dancing is all about. Anything else to add, Joanna? Any closing remarks on what you've seen at iAdams, having earned your travel grant to get here? Um, what are you taking away? What have you seen that you loved? What has made an impression? Um, for me, I think also seeing um, some circus-based research um, and looking at aerial artists and um, athletes, that's been really interesting. Um, but it's just nice to be in an inclusive environment with other researchers that do kind of similar stuff. Great. I am here at the check-in desk at iAdams with some volunteers, yes, who have yes. been working dutifully this whole time. <laughs> Anything you want to say? Have you have you all been to iAdams before? Is this your first time? Do you have impressions you want to share? Introduce yourselves and let me know. All right. I am Melissa McCracken. I'm in my third year of my BFA program in contemporary dance at Concordia University. And this is my first uh, iAdams conference. Um, I'm from British Columbia, so we don't, don't often get the big conferences over there, so it's really cool to be here, to have it in the place that I'm studying at, and I was actually quite impressed when I walked in and saw the scope of it, saw all the other facets being represented, and all the um, sciences being represented, so yeah, it's very exciting to be here. Uh, my name is Ramiz Karim, I'm in my first year with... Uh, I'm in my first year at uh, my BFA program at Concordia University. Um, it's my first time at the iAdams conference and I think it's an amazing event that combines dance, science and medicine into one fantastic event. I didn't even know that this existed so for me to come here and see all of this it's absolutely amazing and I'm just trying to absorb everything that I can and I think it's amazing to have events like this because we really see the, the connection that dance has with science and with medicine and there's so much talk about how dance can be healing and how art can be so healing so I think this is a great event to really showcase that and promote it. Yeah. Isn't it amazing too to see how many people care so much about dancers you know. Um, tell me what you've seen and what's made an impression. Melanie introduce yes. yourself. Hi I'm Melanie Cross. Um, I am in my third year as a physical therapy assistant student in Massachusetts. Um, Right now, I have seen quite a variety of people, quite a variety of different nationalities, um, and just kind of interesting to see how many different people are involved in the you know health and wellness of dancers and what they're doing in order to enhance that and make it better. Um, I'm looking forward to hopefully working with dancers someday and you know working with this kind of group and seeing what iAdams offers in terms of resources is just phenomenal. Great. Um, Anybody, last question, do you want to give me a favorite 
thing? Did you see something that was your favorite? Anybody have a number one choice, best lecture, best movement session, best panel? see much. Go. Yeah. <laughs> I barely see anything. Really, yes. you're all hiding behind this well, desk all like the time? Student, yeah, this is my first yes. um, appearance here. Okay, you got to get out from behind the desk. There are three <laughs> yeah, of you sitting here lunch. right now. <laughs> so, you know, you got to get out there and see some. Okay, so me again, Ellie Kushner, her host of Dance Well Podcast for this episode. I am part of the iAdams um, Committee for Educators. I'm the chair of the Dance Educators Committee. And on Friday, we had a day for teachers, which is sort of a concentrated day of uh, workshops and conversations and panels focused on issues that are particularly relevant to teachers. And um, I know a lot of our dance hall audience are teachers. So um, let me give you a little taste of some of the things that are happening right now out in the teaching sector. I think overall, dance education has changed so much. The overall caliber of teaching and what people know and how people are able to um, incorporate these findings that we're coming across in dance science into their teaching is really astounding. Um, but you know, you, there's there's still progress to make, be made. Every once in a while, we're, we're reminded of uh, what's out there in education and the work that we still need to do. My name's Fena Nander. I'm um, British by birth, but I live in Sweden for the last 40 years. So I guess I'm a Scandinavian now. Um, been coming to IADAM since round about 2000. Yeah, uh, if I were to take something out, I would say that one of the things that has struck me as being a basic problem, which has aroused in or come forth in, in various different ways and various different discussions, is the low standard of teacher training. Because this is really at the bottom of everything. If the teacher doesn't know what they're doing, if they don't have the ethics, if they don't have the knowledge, if they don't have the curiosity, if they're not open-minded, then everything that I Adams does higher up becomes, um, yeah, pretty useless. And when I say uh, the teacher, I mean any teacher of dance. For that matter, any person who's involved in administering or directing Dance for Health, you have to have the knowledge from the bottom. I'm standing with Helen Laws. We're in the foyer here outside of Opera B. Um, Helen Laws, you just spoke about safe and dance practice. Do you want to say a word or two about safe and dance practice? Oh, well, it's a certificate that we developed to be able to evidence the um, people who teach or lead dance, so relevant to rehearsal directors and those uh, people as well, but to be able to recognize the best practice in practice. So to show that dance... Dance teachers have not only taken on board the information about safe dance practice, but are actually putting it into evidence in the studio. So the certificate kind of... This, I'm really rubbish at doing this. 
<laughs> so great. Yeah, yeah. What um, if people want to learn more about Safe in Dance practice? Where can they go? They can go to Safe in Dance International website. I don't know it off the top of my head. Actually, I can find it over. Every there. if you don't know how to use Google, yeah, you yeah. you you let us know and we'll help you. Yeah, and Maggie Morris is the the main lady there, so she she's always willing to have a chat with people on Skype or via email. So. Yeah. Great. Do you have any other affiliations you want to share? You've been associated with so many things. I don't know, because I'm between jobs at the moment. So obviously I was with um, the National Institute of Dance, Medicine and Science and One Dance UK for a long period of time, and there's still great things going on there in the UK. Um, but yeah, I'm looking for my next adventure. So <laughs> I Helen Laws is on the loose, everyone. <laughs> Be sure to uh, snag her if you need her. Thank you. I am, I am so not joking. <laughs> If you would like to tell me about one thing that you saw and how you felt about it. Yeah. Introduce yourself. Okay, my name is Gabby, Gabby Alar. Uh, I want to speak uh, on behalf of the educator perspective and on the perspective of the target group that we research on. I think the most striking things in the uh, conference so far were actually two. One was in the opening session that was about a qualitative research in which the address in how to treat the target group that you're researching on is of high relevance in that type of data collection and presenting of the findings. I thought it was so mind-blowing and I've been trying to look at the rest of the conference to see if this address has been put forward in other occasions and I think in many of the quantitative researches I did not find a similar recognition towards actually who we do the research on and I think there's there has been a sort of beautiful increase of research but it also means that we actually call upon the people that uh, we research on to give you know to really do much more and give much more um, uh, impetus and uh, because the, the, the group hasn't grown you know the group we research on has not grown so there's a larger demand and call on that group and I think we could address um, that it's for them but also yeah to make it more specific that these people actually contribute to the research and, and be be in elegance about it so right, so you mean both who we interview, like who we um, speak to, the fact that it's mostly contemporary dancers, it's mostly ballet dancers, it's mostly people 18 to 35, it's mostly conservatory students or whatever, but also how we treat those subjects. You know, sometimes I almost, I don't feel it this year, but in the fa past I've almost felt like dancers are objectified mm -hmm. even. Yeah, Does that yeah and, and of course for like uh, research that's, uh, that uh, some of the qualitative data uh, uh, um, collection that's important. I mean, it's not about that. But we speak a lot about uh, ownership and we speak a lot about uh, empowering. And now uh, we have these debates about safeguarding. And I feel that in a way how we treat these groups in how we present the results in relationship to the specific targets group, there is also a sort of safeguarding of that profession and the professionals and I think this is something that just came to mind which I thought I want to put forward you know I recognize that my criticism and that comment might sound a bit harsh especially given that we're talking about a population of people who care so deeply about dancers and keeping them healthy but I confess that in years past I really have been a bit bothered feeling like we 
talk about dancers as participants or subjects or bodies on an operating table or the property of directors and managers and for some reason this conference really felt dancer forward just really felt like we were seeing ourselves most of us are dancers and the people we treat as whole people and I don't know if that's you know thanks to the fantastic programming or the increasing prevalence of dance science in our community and the broadening range of people who are participating in this organization or or just to do with my perception perhaps I recognize that that's a possibility but it certainly was a welcome change for me and something that I just really really deeply appreciated about this conference okay so I Adams conference is over and I'm making my way home. I'm doing some recording as I walk. So forgive my breathiness. Um, our final lecture was about breathing, something I really appreciated as um, an asthmatic dancer who's had to make a lot of transformations to my breathing. So I'm just really happy to see that included in the program. Um, and you know, I'm sure some of you practitioners are going to be hearing me speak and thinking I still have some progress to make. Okay, before I sign off, let me give you a few fantastic closing moments. Okay, so I'm with Corrine. Corrine, can you introduce yourself and give me your affiliations? Karine Rettl, I'm HDC Healthy Dancer Canada's president. We are having such a great time in Montreal. It's such a great city. En français, en français, en français. Une conférence pleine de personnes d'une valeur exceptionnelle avec des connaissances impressionnantes. Well, my overall impression is that there's an, a very warm and friendly family related atmosphere and everybody seems to be happy having a good time the presentations are it's a little bit cramped there's so many presentations going on at the same time but it's it's, it's good to pick pick several ones and and it, interestingly enough since i've been around in ayatam since its very very first meeting um, i also check who is speaking instead of what is the subject because so many old friends you meet here and it's so good to hear how their their um, their work has developed and it's interesting there i think there are only three people here as participants who were also present at the very first meeting when we were with 48 members or not well we weren't even members because the association was only recently founded so so we were really the founding member and we chose them the, the the chairman at that time and we had Alan Ryan and Justin House and both unfortunately passed away but this was such a special moment because we had a, a draw we had 24 votes for Alan Ryan and we had 24 votes for Justin House so we decided as a group that they should be co-presidents and that's that's what we did and and it's it's so good to, to to have this same friendly atmosphere here in spite of the fact that we have more than tenfold more participants than at that time it's it's very well done and i'm very proud of our i adams fantastic can you give us your signature sign off the one that you use at the mic every time you go up i am bonnie I am Dr. Bonnie Rietveld, orthopedic surgeon and musician from The Hague in the Netherlands.
Fantastic. We, and we love your bugling. It's a huge part of the performance vibe at iAdams. Could we do it at the end? On behalf of Marissa and myself, I, Ellie Kushner, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Our intro soundscape was composed by the dynamic duo Brendan Berry and Dylan Ezzy, and dancer-designer Katie Dean crafted our visual image. To those of you who have made this season possible by contributing to Dancewell, we are infinitely grateful. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Your donations help pay for our SoundCloud membership, website fees and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you too would like to make a donation to Dancewell, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, if you like what you hear, we invite you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website, www.dancewellpodcast.com. And if you have any questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.